Welcome to the Commercial Disco, a voyage of commercial discovery. The only show dedicated to exploring the commercialization of great ideas and research across deep tech and science, driven by the ambition of the people that make up Australia's unique innovation landscape. We talk to the greatest minds about what is influencing their work and their insights into the ingredients needed to bring great Australian innovation to life. Hello, welcome to the Commercial Disco. I'm James Riley, Editorial Director at InnovationOz.com. Today I'm talking to Michael Schwager, Director General of IP Australia. Welcome, Michael. Thanks, James. Great to be here. Okay, now we're talking all things IP, I guess, obviously. You've been in the role for five years. There's been a tumultuous period, obviously. There's been a huge amount of tech change. It's just the emergence of AI and quantum and, and all those very shiny things. But there's a lot going on in tech broadly. Just talk us through what's the last five years look like. And in telling us that, just tell us what is the role that IP Australia plays? What fundamentally is it there for? Thanks, James. Really, the last five years has probably been some of the best years I've experienced in my career. As Director-General job at IPS Valley is just sensational. In terms of its intrinsic rewards are pretty good. IPS Australia has a very clear purpose to ensure that all Australians benefit from great ideas. And we do that through the IP system, and that's an essential underpinning for investment in Australia, for tech transfer, for commercialization. And it has largely universal support. It's not a political football. We're also an agency that's customer-driven. So we're, as a federal agency, very close to our customers. We try to provide digital delivery wherever we can. And we've also got the scope to be a testbed for innovation in the public sector. And that gives us scope to walk the talk, to deliver on innovation to our customers. And that's just good fun, really. So we've got the discipline of being a cost-recovered agency delivering for our customers. We've got a very clear purpose. We've got clear KPIs and clear accountabilities to the minister, but plenty of scope to do really interesting stuff at the same time. So it's a great job. It's been wonderful. Okay, let me ask you this. There's a few things in there that I want to dig down into, but the first this notion that the organisation exists to ensure that all Australians benefit from IP and presumably IP derive out of Australian ideas up to a point. So tell me this, if you look at it, there are endless stories that will say we're great at research, not great at commercialisation, all that kind of trope that gets rolled out. In terms of IP, are we leaving too much on the table? Are we allowing ourselves to be too open to exploitation from elsewhere? As a starting point, I think as the custodians of the IP system, we're technology neutral and where that technology and IP comes from. So the tech transfer element is as important for ensuring all Australians benefit from great ideas, underpinning for foreign investment, that is all equally important. But to your point about, I guess, the development of Australian ideas into commercial products, yes, we have a critical role in assisting that. The interesting mandate we have is around a few core purposes, the administration and custodianship of the IP system, policy advice, both domestic and international to the government, regulation and registration of the attorney profession, but public education and awareness. And I think 
it's on that public education and awareness that goes to the heart of your point. It's quite astonishing just how many Australian businesses are not part of the IP system relative to counterparts offshore, for example. If you look at Australian SMEs, only 0.2% own a patent. And in manufacturing, where IP activity is the most highly concentrated, European SMEs patent at nearly four times the intensity of Australian SMEs. That's comparing like the like. So clearly, there is some sort of information failure, some sort of gap in terms of getting in front of SMEs and entrepreneurs and helping them appreciate the value of an IP system, a registered IP right. That's an extraordinary number. So four times the rate in Europe. Have you got a theory behind that? It can't just be awareness. Is it people don't look at selling offshore from the get-go? What is it? No, I think our work with, say, the Export Council or Austrade would indicate that people are thinking about export pretty early. Unfortunately, they're not thinking about IP before they think of export, for example. So we find there's an astonishing number of SMEs looking, developing export strategies, and we say, but have you protected that product with a trademark? Because if you protect it with a trademark in Australia, the data will show that you're well-placed then to springboard into export markets with a trademark in those export markets. So the evidence would tell us that you need to be thinking about that early, but an astonishing number don't. So at the moment, the only evidence I have is just that lack of awareness. I can't actually speculate about why we have it, but we certainly have a lack of awareness. And interestingly, it's not just SMEs, it's also startups. Unless you're connected to an incubator or an accelerator, quite often startups will also think of their IP protection too late. And that could be a patent, it could be a design right, or it could be a trademark. So we are at pains to try and get our message out as broadly as we can through as many channels as we can. We've got all the tools, we've got all the information, all the content, but IP Australia's reach is limited. And so we're really relying on partners, not unlike yourselves, to help us get the message out. Okay, that's amazing. Well, I hope that message does get out because it seems like as far as commercialization, return to the economy, all that stuff, it seems like low-hanging fruit, doesn't it? I agree. You would think so, yes. And well, our education and public awareness activities, we try to connect through, say, the tax office, through the Australian Business Register, when people are starting a business which is the key point they need to start thinking about their IP strategies through Oz Industry, through business.au, but also through third parties like the universities, or the Small Business Council, the industry growth centres, for example, just to try and reach as many people as we can who are in that group of people who would benefit from registered IP. Not every SME will, but we would estimate based on comparing characteristics of businesses across the economy, that there are probably 700,000 SMEs at any point in time in Australia who would benefit from a trademark, for example, based on their characteristics of their firm, but who haven't yet engaged with the IP system. So trying to reach those businesses should be low-hanging fruit. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm going to uh, have a look around our own business and see what we, uh, what we should be thinking about. Okay. So five years in, you've been at the helm through COVID. 
I'm not sure if this is something you can answer from the top, but trends, what have you seen? And was there anything particular around COVID that people were trying to secure or lockdown or however you say it? Trend-wise, what are we seeing? Yeah, the pandemic was interesting. To some extent, we were expecting that there would be some sort of regression in the IP system, similar to what we experienced during the GFC, but that wasn't the case. Patterns, trademarks and design filings in Australia all reached record highs in 2021, and we weren't initially thinking that that would be the case. As you'll recall, GDP fell massively in 2020. There was lots of uncertainty around consumption and investment. The jobs crisis was really bad. But trademark filings, for example, rose by 8% in 2020 and then a further 9% in 2021. And that reflects all of the new products and services that people wanted to bring online to service people at home, working from home. So there was a lot of growth in telecommunications services, household equipment, that sort of thing. So we actually saw a really interesting trend in patenting. It was primarily related to digital technology and, of course, health technology. So patenting and health technology really accelerated. So we actually had quite a significant uptick in the use of the IP system during the pandemic. That has started to correct, particularly on trademarks and designs, which tend to be more of a leading indicator. So, yeah, we were pleasantly surprised in how the IP system actually seemed to well, it was well used and you would have to assume helpful to the economy over that period. Yeah, I'm interested, like we've seen we're in an incredibly fertile moment in time right now, it seems to me, with the accelerated technology development across a, a vast range of areas. So are you expecting those kind of growth rates to continue or do you think that, you, you know, they'll back off somewhat immediately after COVID? Um, certainly trademarks and designs have backed off considerably. There has been a significant drop in trademarks and designs, but that's just really returning to pre-pandemic levels. Patents, it's probably too early to say. Certainly the health technology boom, you would expect to correct a bit. But overall, we've seen a pretty steady use of the IP system, and that sort of is what we're expecting to see to continue. Okay, now last month you launched the Australian Intellectual Property Report 2023. One of the key insights, as we reported, I mean, the more active you are in an IP system or the, the healthier you are, for want of a better term, the healthier you are as a company. So talk us through that. Yeah, one of the things we've been looking at is how does the IP system help advance those big issues around advancing productivity and achieving sustainable wage growth? What we've built on in that IP report is previous research that shows a causal link between patenting and productivity growth at the firm level. There was a recent study by Klein and Associates. They estimated that patenting an invention generates a 12% increase in revenue per employee, which is then passed through in high wages. We've used ABS data covering 14.5 million Australians and their employers that found that working in an SME, an Australian SME with patents, is linked to an 11% wage premium and higher retention of employees. International studies show that a patent or a trademark can increase investors' estimates of a startup value by around 20%. 
and Australian SMEs with IP rights are around 16% more likely to achieve high growth than their peers with no recent filings. So we're careful not to claim causality. Other researchers have done that, but we certainly acknowledge that prior research now report, and we do try to control the variables very carefully when we're looking at IP terms versus the broader population. So we try to control that quite tightly. So we think research is indicating really, really strong benefits for any SME who is looking to take out a registered IP right. And of course, that doesn't apply to all firms. It's those firms for whom it makes sense to take out an IP right. Yeah, they're very interesting numbers. I mean, they're big numbers if you talk about 20%. uh... Yeah, absolutely. I think the chief scientist, for example, has been using some of those numbers in presentations just because pointing out that uh, having a a registered IP can increase the investor interest in your startup by around 20%. And that's a nice number. Okay, so let me ask you this. You talked earlier on about digital delivery of some of the IP Australia services. Talk to me about that. I would have thought one of the things that gets in the road of a startup that's got a certain amount of runway to achieve a minimum viable product probably doesn't want to pay an IP lawyer or sees that as, a, as an expense that can be maybe kicked down the road. So how's digital delivery work? Is it easier? Is it cheaper? Well, certainly we hope it's easier and we hope it's cheaper. That's the objective largely of what we're trying to do is to make it more accessible to people, more easily understood. So it's just an education tool at the same time, going back to that earlier issue of pretty low awareness of the IP system. So for us, it's all about a government agency, a government service, providing good customer assistance about those services to anyone who wants to come and engage with us. An example is our new trademark checker tool. So that's a free search tool that helps a novice who has come to try and understand a trademark to prepare themselves about the trademark system and what's allowable and what's not before they formally engage with an application. So I mentioned those 700,000 SMEs who we know would probably benefit from a trademark. We're aiming at to bring those people in to grow that trademark system larger. And it's essentially providing that free search to let people understand those different rules and regulations. But then it's general advice about the system. It's not specific advice about a business strategy for that business. We don't get into that because you know it's not our place to do that. And a judgment around a business strategy is obviously for the applicant themselves or their advisors. But it's a bit like as a taxpayer, you want the tax office to make it as simple and easy for citizens to pay their taxes. As the custodians of the IP system, we want to make it as simple and easy for people to engage with the IP system. Yeah, that's uh, actually a very good analogy. If uh, the tax system is easy to use, you more chance of paying tax. Yeah. So generative AI is obviously something that everyone in every industry everywhere is talking about. It would seem to me to have a big implications for the IP system, both from your internal work and also for IP claims, I guess. How are you looking at it? How are you addressing you know, that very fast-moving area? Yeah, we're in a good position on that at the moment. We recently have been piloting what we would call a ventures unit, sort of modelled on the private sector ventures units when they're looking at new products. 
And we've been able to utilize that little team to put some work into thinking about generative AI. And it's showing some fairly interesting results, actually. And, and it certainly means, I think, even from the early work we've done, that there are changes afoot to the IP system. And it's starting to challenge some of the assumptions in the IP system. If you think traditionally, the IP system comes from, I guess, a scarcity mindset where we help inventors and innovators for coming up with new ideas. And in return for sharing that, we give them a limited monopoly because in return, they diffuse the ideas across the economy. But the new generative AI tools make it easier to do a lot of things. And we've recently published some provocations, I guess, just to get the juices flowing about where this might go. And one of them, we looked at design rights. And in that design rights, we used something called stable diffusion image generation models to create a whole lot of inspirations for how to design a new chair. And then we set that up and let it go infinitely. So it will infinitely produce new designs for chairs. And then you can add different generative AI plugins to make them designed to a sort of mechanically stable sort of manufacturable way. And so that sort of switches the whole thing because that creates an abundance of ideas as opposed to a scarcity of ideas. And then you have to wonder, well, what does that mean for how we as an IP office investigate novelty? What becomes novel? Does that lift the bar on what is really novel when you've got Gen AI producing different things? We also asked one of the models to design, I think we made up something like a voice-activated PowerPoint. And it did a first cut of how you would design a voice-activated PowerPoint. And then we asked it to design pattern specs. And it did that as well. So it wasn't perfect by any stretch. And we all know that generative AI has its limitations in terms of being a predictive sort of based technology and the biases and all of those bits and pieces. But clearly, there's going to be some shifts in what this means for applications, for examinations of patterns for where the bar sits on novelty and invention. And so I would recommend people go and have a look at our website where this stuff is published because we don't have any views because it's too early to really land on any views, but it's something that we have to give thought to. And it's our job, I think, as the custodians of the system to be looking for where this is taking us and what the answers might be. It's quite extraordinary. Gen AI, it's literally across everything. We've got our eye on it very closely in publishing. Obviously, Michael Schroger, Director General of IP Australia. I guess I'll just finish on this one. I want to ask you about the next five years. I mean, we've just talked about the Gen AI. What are some of the other things you're seeing on the horizon? What are you firstly getting excited about? And what are the things that you see as challenges for your organization, but also for the nation in relation to IP? So I think we're doing tentative work to go, is the IP system fit for purpose for the modern economy? There's been, obviously, the Gen AI creates a whole lot of work and discussion, and that's a very live discussion, and it's very hard to see exactly how that's going to play out, but it will certainly fundamentally shift things over the next five years. I don't think we have any doubt of that. I think related to that over the next five years, you have to consider inventorship. We've already seen a challenge through the High Court that says this is the Thaler-Davis invention by AI. Can AI be an inventor? Certainly, the High Court said, under the current legislation, artificial intelligence cannot be an inventor. But of course, you can change legislation. The question is, should we? And we are, at the moment, consistent with most other countries. Most other countries have done a similar thing. 
And that's important, that international consistency, because you want to be a continuing attractive place to invest. So you don't want to create uncertainty for investment. So to some extent, there has to be an international move, if not in harmony, at least not completely out of sync, or you don't want it to get completely out of sync. But you do have to start to ask that question, to what extent is it important that we identify an inventor on patents? And if so, can they be a machine? And I think the other interesting piece is some of the most difficult court cases we've had in Australia and the High Court recently go to a niche discussion in the IP world around manner of manufacture. And essentially, that's built around the intrinsic link between patenting and manufacturing. Is that still appropriate in an economy that's, what, 80, 90% services-based? How do we deal with that? The High Court split 3-3 on this issue. Not helpful. So it's a highly contested and debatable issue. And I suspect sometime over the next five years, we're going to have to land that as well. All right. Michael Swagger, Director General, IP Australia. Thank you very much for being on the Commercial Disco and all the best for the next five years. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to talk with you today. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Commercial Disco podcast. Please like, subscribe and leave a five-star review wherever you heard us. And please visit our website, innovationoz.com, to check out our reporting on tech, innovation and public policy. You can also follow us on social media to ask us any questions or to suggest a guest for the show. Until next time, this is the Commercial Disco wishing you a great week ahead.